there are suddenly some obstacles affecting the Islanders. You have to have that next man up mentality, but but trust me, there is no next Anders Lee, who are a dumpster fire uh, like we haven't seen dumpster fires in the NHL in a while. And yippee! Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 75. And yes, it's me, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday as we hit episode 75, as I just mentioned. And I, I was just wondering, did Johnny Carson ever host 75 straight episodes? I mean, during his glorious run at the Tonight Show. Uh, I think he got some breaks in in there, and I'm certainly not saying I want a break. I, I want to be an Iron Man here. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll get uh, uh, Islanders team statistician Eric Hornick on that to see uh, what Carson's record was for most consecutive Tonight Shows uh, hosted. Uh, I, I, I think I might be uh, above Carson in that list. But uh, again, you know, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, having fun with this at A Gross Newsday on Twitter. And also, please, Newsday Islanders text. That's your direct connection to one on one communication with me and other Newsday staffers who are covering the team. You can text 631 303 3766. That's 631 303 3766 or go to newsday.com backslash aisles text to start your 14-day trial subscription and, and I'm asking you please hop aboard um having a lot of fun with that uh developing <laughs> I, I feel like some real you know acquaintances with the with the people we we, we get into texting back and forth and and it's been a, a lot of fun that two-way communication and I'm really enjoying that so you know uh, it, it's your best way to chat with me uh, one-on-one, and uh, again, that's Newsday Islanders text, and uh, on this show, later on, a, a little bit of a, a, a different interview uh, to present to you, but I'll have excerpts of a chat I had with Dr. Lawrence Rocks. He's a professor emeritus of chemistry at Long Island University, and he has some thoughts on climate change and how that might affect hockey and sports in general. So that'll be later on, and also we'll be answering uh, some uh, some of your questions via Newsday Islanders text, and that'll be in the Andrews Answers portions. But let me let me start with this. There are there are suddenly some obstacles affecting the Islanders, uh, both uh, uh, injuries, uh, Anders Lee, and also with COVID, which we know is an ongoing issue uh, as it relates to this NHL season. Uh, as of Monday, and uh, I'm recording this on a, on a Monday, Noah Dobson remained on the COVID list on Monday. Uh, both he and Jean-Gabriel Pajot were on the list on Sunday and did not play in that 3-2 shootout win at New Jersey. Um, Pajot's stay on that list was only one game, uh, uh, one day, uh, which which was a really good sign. But Noah Dobson has now been on the COVID list for two days. We'll see. We'll have to see how that develops. Um, It was a a crazy scene, really, at the beginning of the game on Sunday. You, You saw... Uh, the referees and the linesmen huddling with Brock Nelson, who is wearing an A as an alternate captain with Anders Lee, as I mentioned, uh, injured. 
Um, so Brock Nelson, I believe it was Kyle Palmieri for the Devils, are huddling with with the I uh, the the officials, and there was a delay in the puck, uh, dropping the puck for the opening faceoff, and then uh, the ref was talking to the off ice officials, and then he skated over to the Islanders bench. He had a chat with Barry Trotz, and then the game started, and I was, I, I counted three times, because I, I thought I was incorrect, but uh, there were only 12 skaters uh, on the bench, and, and as you know, that means one guy is missing, uh, you know, with five on the ice, and, and the goalie, and, and of course, the uh, the backup goalie on the bench, so uh, the Islanders started a man short, and that was because Noah Dobson, who had taken the pregame warm-ups, and as I wrote down the, the lines and the D-pairs, I had four with eight, green with Dobson, as it has been for for the first uh, 28 games this season, this being game 29 on Sunday. But then all of a sudden, you look at the roster sheet uh, that comes up online uh, from the NHL, and, and Dobson is listed amongst the scratches, and Sebastian Ajo, who, who had not played all season, he's been on the Islanders roster, not only had he not played all season, uh, Bridgeport's AHL season uh, ended in March of 2020 with the COVID pause. They did not come back. And, uh, you know, as Sebastian Ajo said, it had been a year since he had played in a hockey game, and this was a game he had not really been, you know, he, he took pregame warm-ups and everything, but this was not a game that he was thinking he was going to play. He had taken off his equipment, and then, and the reason the Islanders had 12 on the bench to uh, to start the game down one man was uh, because Sebastian Ajo was rushing to get his equipment back on and uh, get to the bench. He, he did so fairly quickly, and, uh, you know, he had an eventful, uh, you know, first shift uh, as his shot went in off Kiefer Bellows to give the Islanders a one nothing lead. But uh, really, it was an interesting game on Sunday, start to finish. <laughs> you know, I, I think as I, I said to Barry Trotz after the game, I was like, boy, that was a drawn out game. Um, you know, I was I, I was sweating it because I, I had some uh, deadline issues uh, to contend with. And, and also, uh, because of the COVID protocols with the media, the media is kicked out of, you know, I, I think it's the same in all buildings, but uh, certainly at the Prudential Center, the media gets four hours from the drop of the puck uh, before they are kicked out of the press box. So, uh, you know, I was well aware as this game swept towards 8 p.m. that at 9 p.m. I would be asked to leave. And, uh, you know, so I was uh, <laughs> I, I was sweating that out. In fact, the uh, the postgame interviews, uh, we, we got off the Zoom with Barry at 8.30, so that left me a scant 30 minutes to get everything done. Um, probably took off a few pounds sweating that day, but, you know, hey, I, I, I can afford that. Um, but anyway, look, Dobson... Being on the protocol list, and as I said, as I speak, it's been two days. That does not mean he's necessarily tested positive for COVID. And as and as I said, it was a great sign that Pajot was on and off the list. Uh, if you remember back on January 20th, Josh Bailey was on the COVID list, and uh, but he was off by January 21st, and, and it turned out 
uh, that it was because his kid, uh, you know, his kid's teacher had had a cough. And just out of an abundance of caution, Josh was kept away from the team. So, you know, you, you can't necessarily go, Noah Dobson has COVID. That's, that's certainly not something that we know where the Islanders or the NHL are going to release at this point. You know, it, it, when, when Dobson comes back, if we speak to him, you know, if he says, oh, yeah, you know, if he confirms he had COVID, that's how, how we'll find out. But as of right now, all we know that, you know, out of precaution, he's on the COVID list and being kept away from the team. And look, so far, the Islanders have been very lucky getting through their schedule as well as possible through this pandemic. Uh, you know, whatever postponements and changes have come to the Islanders' schedule, it's because other teams had been affected. And, and you know, it worked out because the, the unexpected bye week they did get that first week of February with the the Sabres being unavailable for two games at the Coliseum, that turned into a great week of practice that, that for a long stretch turned the Islanders' power play into a useful weapon. And I'll get to the power play in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I mentioned there are obstacles for the Islanders. The other one uh, is certainly Anders Lee. Um, injuring his right leg uh, as Pavel Zaka uh, fell over it in the first period of Thursday's uh, uh, 5-3 win over the Devils at Nassau Coliseum. And, uh, you know, uh, there there were a thousand frontline workers in the stands, uh, so there was a crowd, but you could hear Anders Lee you could hear that he was in pain on the ice. You could see that he, he, he was unable to crawl off the ice. You could see he couldn't really put weight on that leg as he was, you know, helped down the tunnel towards the Islanders dressing room. And it, it really is an unfathomable loss for the Islanders, their captain being down. And, you know, this one really goes beyond the next man up that, that every team, you know, uh, says they have the, the next man up mentality. And, you know, it's what teams have to do because injuries are a part of sports. They're part of hockey, as Barry Trot said, and, and I agreed, you know, if you don't get hurt, uh, <laughs> at some point in your career probably means you're not playing hard enough. And uh, Anders Lee certainly plays incredibly hard. You know, it's unfathomable just because Anders Lee had been so durable. He was playing in his 295th consecutive game. And, and if you consider where he puts his body on the ice, always around the net, always being physical, that power forward game that he plays, 295 games in a row is really, it's outstanding. And, you know, it's almost inconceivable. Um, You know, that was the eighth longest active streak in the NHL. It was the third longest streak overall uh, by any Islander. And again, you know, a, a guy who plays as Anders does as passionately, as physically, and as skillfully as Anders Lee. Um, uh, To get to 295 games in a row just, you know, says everything about his dedication. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there were games where he was in a lot of pain and he he got through it. You know, you you have to have that next man up mentality. but, But trust me, there is no next Anders Lee for the Islanders. So the, the the players were all talking about having to do it by committee. 
that's going to have to be the case. And, uh, you know, it was a good sign that, uh, you know, Kiefer Bellows getting that first chance to, to go in for Anders, you know, has, has three goals in his first two games. And we'll talk a little bit more about Kiefer coming up as well. As I said, some obstacles for the Islanders. You got COVID, you got the Anders Lee uh, injury, and I should mention he is now on long-term injured reserve, and the Islanders did that pretty quickly, and that allows them to spend over the $81.5 million cap ceiling by Anders Lee's $7 million uh, cap figure, his cap hit, so they can exceed their their cap ceiling by that seven million uh you know if if they're bringing in a trade or uh, however they want to do it and uh you know the islanders are already in that situation they uh they they use johnny boychuk's six million dollar cap hit you know he can't continue his career because that eye injury he suffered last season uh but he's got this season and next on his contract so the islanders essentially used uh johnny boychuk's Six million to to get our uh, restricted free agent Matthew Barzell signed. So now the uh, Lou Lamarillo has a little money heading towards the April twelfth trade deadline. Uh, he's got you know seven million to work with, and that's if Andrews Lee is not you know expected to come back this season. You don't want to take on uh, a large salary, and then you know Andrews Lee is back you know, say, you know, two weeks after the trade deadline, you got to figure out what you're doing. Uh, that, that, that's not the case. If the Islanders bring in a, a, a ginormous contract uh, that would rival Lee's, you, you, you're pretty much telling the world that Andrews Lee is not coming back uh, during the regular season. So, Look, uh, obstacles aside, and, and another one that, uh, I, you know, I need to bring up now is the schedule, which uh, takes a, a turn for the tougher. Uh, the Islanders, as I speak, are 19-6-4. and four. Um, They're in first place in the East. Uh, they've won nine straight. They're on an 11-0-1 run. Um, but, you know, I, I do think you have to bring up that they, they played seven of their last eight games Against the Devils, who look, the, the, the Devils played hard. They gave the Islanders all they could handle at times. But at the same time, the Devils are still in a 210 and 2 skid for a reason. And, you know, so seven of eight games against the Devils. And, and then the last place Sabres, who are a dumpster fire, uh, like we haven't seen dumpster fires in the NHL in a while. Uh, it, it's an unmitigated disaster in Buffalo. Happy I'm not covering that team because I have no answers for how they're going to get out of this. Uh, they, Jeff Skinner's contract is going to just strangle that franchise for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Jack Eichel's hurt. Uh, and, and I know this is an Islanders podcast. That's Buffalo's problems, but I, I'm seven of eight against the, the, the Devils and the Sabres. Now the Islanders, uh, play the next 12 games, uh, starting Tuesday night in Washington. They're, they're, they're playing all 12 games against playoff contenders in the Capitals, the Flyers, the Bruins, and the Penguins. And then those five teams, uh, along with the Islanders, are really the meat of the East Division. And, uh, you know, the, the the team I'm leaving out there is the Rangers, who are certainly, the, the Rangers to me are better than the Devils and the Sabres, but the Rangers are not 
quite good as good as the Penguins, Bruins, Flyers, Caps, or or the Islanders. So you know, a, a real tough tough stretch here for the Islanders. Um, but you know, the Islanders have been doing well before they had this uh, you know gift of playing the the, the Sabers and the Devils so often. They're, they're sixteen two and four since blowing a three-goal first-period lead in a 6-3 loss in Washington on January 28th. Uh, if you remember, that was a really tough two-game series uh, for the Islanders. I was part of an 0-3-2 and road trip where it really looked like the Islanders' season was, uh, you know, potentially coming off the rails a little bit. They they lose in Jersey 2-0. They get shut out by Scott Wedgwood. And then they lose these two two games in Washington where they probably should have gotten some kind of points out of it. But uh, the the Caps win that first game on January 26th. Uh, Justin Schultz scores with 26.4 seconds left in regulation. And then the Islanders come back and, and they have pushback in the next game after, you know, kind of that heartbreaking loss. And they get off to a 3 nothing lead in the first period two days later. And, and then they give up six unanswered goals to the Caps and they lose 6-3 and then they hit to head headed to Philadelphia where they lost twice in in overtime to make it 0-3-2 but you know that's that's where that 16-2 and 4 run starts so with those two overtime losses in in Philly and Barry said at the time he could see his team starting to play a little bit better also you know somewhat ironically now with with Noah Dobson being on on the COVID list. Um, Capitals played those two games, if you remember, with with Alex Ovechkin and goalie Ilya Samsonov and Evgeny Kuznetsov and defenseman Dmitry Orlov all on the COVID protocol list. And obviously uh, those are, you know, Ovechkin just, just matched uh, Phil Esposito on the all-time goal list. So he can he can move ahead of Espo uh, on, on Tuesday night against the Islanders. So Alex Ovechkin, the, the grade eight, certainly, uh, you know, the Islanders will see him this time. And, and that's always a handful. So like I said, it's it, it's a really tough stretch. And then the Islanders come home and they get the, the Flyers on Thursday and, and yippee. And I mean that sincerely. That was not a sarcastic yippee. Uh, season ticket holders are back on Thursday. Um, it, it was great, as I mentioned, that the Islanders hosted those 1,000 frontline workers on March 11th in a 5-3 win over the Devils. Uh, but now there will be 1,391 season ticket holders. And that's 10% of the Coliseum's uh, capacity. The first seven games have sold out quickly. And look, whoever gets their hands on the tickets, and I saw some social media complaints, the tickets uh, were being sold, you know, kind of secondary market style online. And and some folks weren't happy about that. But it'll just be great to have an atmosphere back in the building. And and if you you listen to episode 74, you heard Neil Best say, uh, especially since this is the last season of Nassau Coliseum, it would have been really sad for the old barn, the venerable barn, to to go out without you know Long Islanders being able to to be back in the building to see their Islanders there. So, look that that starts three straight against the Flyers. Then the the Islander uh, did I say the Islanders? Boy, no, that's three straight against the Flyers. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no inter-squad scrimmages during the middle of an NHL season, Andrew. We get that straight. So three, three straight against the Flyers. Then they, the Islanders take their first trip to to Boston for a back-to-back series, and you just know uh, that the Bruins are going to be itching uh, to to get the Islanders back after losing four in a row at the Coliseum. So. You know, that's something to watch out for. You got two more in Pittsburgh, where, as I mentioned, that's where the, the two regulation losses in the Islanders' 16-2-4 run occurred. So uh, it's a very tough five-game road trip. And uh, look, you know, even with those two wins in, in New Jersey, the, the Islanders are still just 7-6-2 and two on the road. They've really done their damage at home. So, uh, you know, the Islanders need to be a little bit better uh, on the road, and, and it's a step up in competition, but you know, I, I, I know the Islanders are looking forward to that kind of challenge. Uh, you know, th- this group really, you know, really relishes that type of stuff. And uh, you know, as I mentioned at the top, the obstacles facing the teams, uh, the, the tougher schedule, uh, it, it's going to be a circle of the wagons, and uh, it's going to be a pull together moment for this group. And uh, you know, they've shown they can they they've been able to handle that this type of adversity in the past. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to go all gloom and doom. I'm just trying to be objective and point out that there are some obstacles uh, ahead of the Islanders here. Um, uh, one other obstacle, uh, as long as we're talking about it, is uh, I'm not crazy about the power play lately, and that, that's even before Anders Lee's injury. The Devils entered that three-game series with the Islanders ranked dead last in the 31-team NHL on the penalty kill. And uh, their, their their road numbers were, were abysmal, just truly abysmal. Um, somehow, the Islanders went 0 for 13 uh, against the Devils in the three games with 22 total shots. And, you know, it wasn't tough to see. The, the Islanders were stagnating along the wall. Barry Trotz complained about the forwards not getting the pucks uh, to shooters, particularly Ryan Pulak, uh, you know, so so Pulley can get off that big blast of his or, or Oliver Wallstrom in good spots. They weren't moving their the puck fast enough. They weren't moving their feet enough. They, they weren't able to keep the puck in the zone. They were chasing the puck. Uh, They just made it way too easy to defend uh, against their power play. That's something that's going to have to get, uh, you know, straightened out very quickly for the Islanders. They got to go back to what they were doing before uh, this downturn. As I mentioned, uh, their power play play during February was was pretty, pretty good, um, you know, and it was a refreshing change from some of what we've seen uh, under Barry Trotz with the Islanders. It's been a frustration. So uh, the Islanders got to get it back to, uh, you know, more of a consistent uh, manner on, on the man advantage. You know, I, I did like Kiefer Bellows getting that first goal on Sunday after he had two in the third period of Saturday's 3-2 win. Trotz has given Bellows a, another chance here to make a, a good impression after, you know, he was in the lineup uh, earlier in the season and then spent a long time out of the lineup. He played in that overtime loss in Philly on January 30th. Then he didn't play again until February 18th. That was a 4-1 loss in Pittsburgh. 
And, uh, you know, he, he played under eight minutes in that game, and Trotz spoke after the game about the concerns he had about Kiefer's defensive play, and, and, and Kiefer does not get back into the lineup in, until Saturday, and that's because of Anders Lee's uh, injury. Um, but, you know, no dipping your toes in the, uh, in the shallow end. Uh, Barry Trotz not wanting to tinker too much with his lines, um, you know, just inserts Kiefer Bellows. It's a one-for-one one substitution. Kiefer Bellows goes on Matthew Barzell's left wing along with Jordan Eberle rather than, you know, mixing and matching, maybe, you know, getting Josh Bailey up onto the top line and then figuring out what you're going to do or, or, or moving Wallstrom off of this comfort zone he has with J.G. Pajot. So it was a one-for-one one substitution. It's a huge opportunity for Kiefer Bellows. You could see he's paying more attention to what the Islanders and Barry liked to call the details of the game. He's playing better defense, uh, two-game sample again. And, uh, you know, uh, after after Kiefer scored those two goals on Saturday, uh, you know, the equalizer and the winner, Trotz essentially said, yeah, that was good. Do it again. So that's why I, I said I really did like seeing Bellows get that first goal on Sunday because he was doing it again. And, and that's going to give him more and more chances to stay in the lineup. And uh, and then there's the goaltending. Um, Semyon Varla- Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin, uh, and this is entering Tuesday's game, they've now alternated the last 10 games. Um, Trotz still insists that Varlamov is the number one goalie. And he mentioned... Uh, when I asked him about it, you know, in his mind, uh, an NHL goalie really needs to play 100 games uh, before there's any goalie controversy. And it's going to take Sorokin a while to get to 100 uh, regular season games. But uh, and, and likely when the playoffs start, it, it'll be Varley in the net until he falters. And really, he didn't do that much in, in last season's playoffs. So, Still, it's great for Barry Trotz to know that Sorokin is a real option for playoff work if that's what it comes to. And you just see Ilya getting more and more comfortable with the NHL game. And he's playing the angles better. He's he's catching up to the speed of the game. And he's catching up to the physicality around the net. And that's all things that necessarily were not there uh, consistently in the KHL. It's just a different game on a wider rink. It's a much less physical game. And, uh, you know, the, the goalie's eyes don't get taken away as much in the KHL as they do in the NHL. And, and, and you can see Ilya really starting to fight through those screens and, and learn how to track the puck well. And I think that's a great sign uh, moving forward. Um, and look, Sorokin is certainly no stranger to, to big-time hockey. He led uh, Siska Moscow to the Gagarin Cup in 2019. That's the KHL equivalent of the Stanley Cup, and, and he was named the playoff MVP that season. Uh, the year before, in 2018, uh, he leads the team of Russian athletes to, to the gold medal at, at the Winter Olympics. So, you know, he's a five-time KHL All-Star, and uh, he had 43 shutouts over his five his five all-star seasons you know uh, there's a reason he's you know highly touted seems like his first name 
you know, it's always in front of Ilya Sorokin, at least maybe, you know, when I'm writing, it's always highly touted Ilya Sorokin. And uh, he's certainly, there, there, there's been a payoff for the Islanders. And, and again, along with the team, there's there's going to be a step up in competition now for Ilya Sorokin because the, the schedule is unrelenting. There's, you know, a game every other day, if not more. Uh, 19 games in 33 days. That's the stretch the Islanders are in. And that's why you see Barry Trotz alternating his goalie. So there's all that. And now there's this. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And again, these questions come from our Newsday Islanders text subscribers. Uh, you know, I, I'm asking you, please jump on board with that. Um, it, it's it, it's really fun to, to communicate one-on-one. Uh, I've gotten some really good questions, some for the Island Ice podcast, just some, uh, some you know, just uh, on a daily basis. And it's always fun to go through the inbox and uh, see what people are thinking and, and to answer them. Um so here are the questions that the subscribers uh, submitted for this episode, and we'll start with John Pisano. I was hoping if you could tell us any more on who you think Lou is going to go after. Uh, and this is as it relates to the April 12th uh, trade deadline. And also, John, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, I've heard them and I appreciate them. Um, look, it's going to be a packed trade market. And uh, again, as I mentioned with Anders Lee on LTIR, Lou Lamarillo is suddenly not constrained by the salary cap, um, which is, you know, again, I think the Islanders would have preferred Anders Lee to be playing and and not to have the 7 million uh, on LTIR uh, above the salary cap. I'm sure that was the Islanders' preference. But now that Lou has this money, he you know he can go out and bolster, you know either the scoring depth uh, amongst the forwards or, or bring in some uh, depth for the defense. You know as we saw, uh, Barry Trotz rides the same six defensemen uh, through the first 28 games, and the only reason Sebastian Ajo broke that streak in game 29 was because Noah Dobson uh, gets flagged for COVID protocols. But still. Uh, Sebastian Ajo and Thomas Hickey are the, you know, seventh and eighth defensemen. Um, I, I still think Lou, you know, had Lee not been hurt, I think his priority might have been going after some defense depth. Now I, I think it will be to, to bolster the forwards. Um, look, as I mentioned, there, there, there are a lot of names out on the trade market. And if you ask me who specifically... Uh, Lou is pinpointing, uh, you know, there there are people around the NHL who don't even know that. And, and if they do know that, they know enough not to tell you because, uh, you know, it's it's under extreme penalty from Lou Lamarillo if he finds you leaking information. You know, there are, there are, anecd- uh, there are stories, maybe anecdotal, I, I, I tend to think not, that reporters figured out and got wind and got leaked of a move Lou was going to do. And Lou turned away from that move and, and didn't make it just because the news had gotten out there. And also to show that, you know, he knew the news had been leaked and, uh, you know, he was not happy about it. So uh, it's tough to say 
which players specifically. You know, uh, last season came out after the fact the Islanders had been targeting Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and, and, and it was... You know, I, I don't know what the percentages were, 50-50, whatnot, you know, but it was because of Jean-Gabriel Pajot's play on the ice and because it was the character he is off the ice and how Lou and Barry thought that would fit into the group. And, and team chemistry is something that they ponder and evaluate and are concerned about with 24-7. So it, it could be the most talented player in the world. If Barry and Lou don't think that person is going to slide smoothly into their team's room, they're not going to do it. They're not going to introduce someone in there who could cause a little chaos or, or ruffle some feathers. They're just not. Um, as for the trade market, you know Taylor Hall, the, the former Hart Trophy winner, uh, with the Devils, who has since played for the Coyotes and is now on a one-year, $8 million deal with the, you know, woe-begone Sabres, however you want to describe them. Um, so Taylor Hall is going to get traded here. One year, $8 million, and, and the gamble is that Taylor Hall can regain his scoring touch. When Taylor Hall is going, as you saw when he was an MVP with the, the Devils, uh, he he was so much better... <laughs> than other players in the league uh, that season. It, it was fairly crazy. Um, you know, he's an intriguing prospect. And like I said, you know, if the Sabres take back a contract like a Leo Komarov or Thomas Hickey, along with a package of uh, prospects and picks, you know, uh, it, it's a deal that could be done. But again, you know... Uh, uh, is it what Lou is specifically looking for? I, I can't necessarily tell you that. Uh, other impending UFA forwards include the Devils' Kyle Palmieri, and this is me speaking, not Lou Lamarillo speaking. This is me having covered the Devils and knowing Kyle Palmieri. He would fit perfectly into that room. He is everything the Devils are looking for in terms of character. Uh, honestly, uh, Kyle, a great person and, and a really effective player. And I think he would, he plays that kind of hard game that, that, that Barry Trotz loves. So, you know, I, I know he was not a guy that, that Lou Lamarillo acquired for the Devils when he came over from the, uh, from the Ducks, but, but Kyle Palmieri, who was born in Smithtown, uh, and there's some, you know, people claim him for Long Island and then he, he was, he was raised over in New Jersey in Bergen County. Uh, that's where he really grew up. So, you know, I know Bergen County and Jersey claim him. Some people call him Long Island's Kyle Palmieri. Uh, he, he would be a great fit for the Islanders. Um, Blue Jackets captain Nick Foligno. And, and I should mention Kyle Palmieri's got $4.65 million, uh, on his deal as a cap hit. Blue Jackets captain Nick Foligno, who's got $5.5 million, is another guy like Palmieri. Uh, a great character um, and, and just a hard player. Um, the Sabres, Eric Stahl at $3.25 million. Um, more of a center. Um, the, the Rangers, when they acquired him as a, as a trade rental, they, they tried him on uh, left wing, I, I believe, and, and that third line left wing, and that didn't really work for Eric Stahl. Um, you know, and, and there are also rumors that he might be heading back to Carolina. Um, 
the Red Wings' Bobby Ryan at $1 million is out there. The Senators' Ryan Zingle at $3.378 million is out there. Uh, and, th- and then you have those forwards who, who have, uh, you know, are not impending UFA. So, you know, the Predators' Philip Forsberg, he's got one season left on, uh, with a $6 million cap hit. And, boy, you'd love that skill in your lineup, right? And, and also the Ducks' uh, Ricard Raquel, um, he's got one year left on a six-year $22.8 million deal with the Ducks' Um, and people in the East, you know, unless you're staying up really late, you're not really watching uh, him play. Uh, he He's having a heck of a season. He'd, he'd be a nice addition. Uh, Ducks teammate Adam Henrique, uh, who was drafted by Lou uh, for the Devils, third round in 2008. Um, and, and Lou likes Rico, but, uh, you know, uh, Ducks put him on, uh, waivers earlier this season. He's got three seasons left on a five-year, twenty-nine point one two five million dollar deal. And, and and I, as much as like Lou likes Adam, I, I don't necessarily he see him uh, adding that kind of contract. Uh, that would kind of handcuff him a little bit. As far as defensemen on the market, uh, the Predators are probably going to shop Matthias Ekholm. He's uh, he's got one year left on his deal, uh, 3.75 million. Plays the left side. Uh, the Blue Jackets probably shopping David Savard, uh, an impending UFA. He's in at 4.25 million. He plays the right side. Uh, the Sabers will trade anything, everything, uh, you know, uh, that that's not bolted down. And there's not much bolted down there at, at this point. Two defensemen the Sabers could move are. Brandon Montour uh, on the right side at $3.85 million. Uh, he's an impending UFA. And then Colin Miller at $3.88 million. Uh, and he's a right defenseman also. He's got one year left on his deal. I would say stay away from Colin Miller based on the games he played against the Islanders. But Brandon Montour is an intriguing guy. Uh, you know, he's he's got a history before uh, the Sabres. And, and I think... You know, he he was not, and, and this is high praise for what I saw out of the the Sabers. He was not awful a, against the Islanders. Um, you know, another guy that maybe finds a new home through all of this craziness would be the Rangers' Tony D'Angelo. Uh, I I would say no way, and that goes to you know the character and Lou not injecting that a, as a possible wedge into the Islanders' room. You know, dating back to my my days covering the Rangers, I, I'd say the Red Wings' Mark Stahl uh, w- would be the kind of character you want in there. Um, and, and he's a reliable player, certainly not, you know, to the standards he was during his prime with the Rangers. Uh, he's on the other side of 30 now. Um, it, it, remarkable. I've known Mark since he was 18. Uh, it's amazing he's in his 30s now. Um, great character. Um, really knows how to play the game. But he's got, you know, uh, he's an impending UFA, but he's got $5.7 million cap hit, um, you know, for what would probably be a seventh or eighth defenseman. I, I don't think you're paying that. Um uh, Michael Tricarico, um, 
says, I keep reading about how the Islanders need to add uh, adept defensemen. And while that may be true, why is the organization soured so much on Thomas Hickey? Uh, is it that he just hasn't played recently at the NHL level? Or is there something else, a combination of things? He played a lot of games for the Islanders. And Lou thought he was good enough to sign at four years, $10 million. But now he's not even capable of being a seventh defenseman, question mark. If that's the case, then that was a really poor signing by Lou. Um, I, yeah, I'll leave that last one alone because, yeah, on the surface, that, that's money that's being spent that, that, you know, is not contributing to the Islanders right now. There are, there are no character issues with Thomas Hickey. Absolutely zero. Barry Trotz has talked about what a professional he's being through all of this. Um, and that's, you know, not playing. And last season was certainly a rough season for Thomas Hickey. You know, he was hurt at first. His, his brother, you know, just horrible, horrific news. His brother... Uh, passes away, uh, you know, late in the season, um, you know, and, and Thomas Hickey was going back and forth uh, back to Western Canada to spend some time with his brother, you know, in those final days. It was a really rough season on Thomas Hickey. And then, you know, of course, he, he has the concussion the, the season before, and that opened the door for Devon Tays. And that's really where it started with Thomas Hickey not being in the top six anymore. And, you know, I, I still think you you can throw Hicks in there for a game or two here. Um, he's clearly behind Sebastian Ajo on the depth chart right now. So I haven't gotten to see him obviously play in a while. I don't know, you know, if his game is, is you know, slipped at all. It certainly wouldn't be surprising with everything he's gone through. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't, I to say the organization soured, on Thomas Hickey is not a good way of putting it. The organization still loves Thomas Hickey, certainly as a person. It's just more as a player right now. He's he's their eighth defenseman, and Lou might think that you know that you can upgrade there. And and also you go back. Defensemen are like pitching; you can never have enough. Um, Thomas Boyle. Uh, asks, um, how much do you see Adam Pellick making this summer? And of course, Adam Pellick is a restricted free agent. He's in it, I think, $1.6 million uh, this season, if my memory serves. And I, yeah, he's going to be an RFA. And I think you look at, at Ryan Pulak's two-year $10 million deal as sort of a, a guideline starting point. You know, if Pulak's making $10 million, that, or if Pulak's making $5 million per season, then I think Pellick should be making $5 million per season. And I'll be honest with you, top pair defensemen, and that's what Pellick and Pulak are, $5 million is is that's a team-friendly number. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't, you know, Pellick could be in the 5.5 to $6 million range if, if he was on the open market. But, you know, I, I think... I think he's going to come in close to Pulak's, uh, you know, two-year, $10 million deal. Um, Al Payone says, and, and I hope uh, band practice went well, Al, um, if there is no deal to be made that Lou Fields is right, how far does this team go in a playoff where they may face two of the Bruins, Caps, or Flyers to get to the Final Four? Um, 
and my question is, is Anders Lee going to be back for the playoffs? And what other injuries will the Islanders incur? You know, the Islanders went into the playoffs last season. Um, you know, had it not been for the COVID pause, they wouldn't have had Adam Pellick. And, and then you saw towards the end of that Tampa Bay series, they were again without Pellick and they were without Casey Sezikis. Um, look, even if Lou does not make a deal, I, I, you, you, the, the Islanders are, are, are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. I, I, I really believe that. They, they may be the hardest team in the NHL to play against. Um, the, their structure is certainly, you know, makes them that way. And, and, you know, again, they played a lot of games against the Devils and the Sabres, but the offense has not looked stagnant. Uh, it, it's looked... It's looked dangerous uh, of late. Certainly, Matthew Barzell, who's, who's having a brilliant season. So, you know, even if no deal is made, um, yes, the Anders Lee being out certainly, you know, knocks him down maybe you know a half peg here. But then, you know, it's an opportunity for Kiefer Bellows, uh, you know, and and look, the Islanders. Whatever happens this season, you may look back as this was the season where. Oliver Wallstrom, Noah Dobson, and Kiefer Bellows really, you know, became the next core uh, for the future generation of of the Islanders. You know, you got the core now with Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, certainly, um, you know, Josh Bailey, guys like that. But, you know, the, at some point, this team is going to be turned over to Matthew Barzell, and you, you got to hope that Noah Dobson and uh, Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom are a part of that next core. Um, and, and finally, uh, Michael Fernandez asks, if Sebastian Ajo keeps playing well, can he become more of a regular in the top six? And he's not going to supplant Noah Dobson. Um, you know, I keep saying Sebastian Ajo is NHL ready, and I think he shows... You know, it was one game, but I think he showed that he can play in the NHL for sure. Um, he's 25 now, I believe. Um, you know, clock's sort of ticking on whether he's going to be, you know, a, a, a contributor to the Islanders or not. Um, but I don't see Barry, if if those top six are healthy, and that's Pelic Pulak, Letty Mayfield, uh, Green, and Dobson. If those six are healthy, I, I don't see Trotz messing with it much. Okay, I'll be back shortly, and, and thank you for submitting those questions, but I'll be back shortly with excerpts of my chat with Dr. Lawrence Rocks. But first, this message. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Isles Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Isles Text. And again, as I mentioned at the top, uh, you know, this is kind of a different interview, um, not specifically Islander or, uh, you know, Islander base, but I had a, to me, a fascinating, I, I think I was on the phone with them for about 40 minutes uh, discussing 
climate change and uh, you know weather patterns and the wind and his his plans to you know uh, to push for a weather station on the moon. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Rocks, who uh, you know is from Stony Brook and as I mentioned is a professor emeritus of chemistry at Long Island University and he's been affiliated with that institution for 55 years. Uh, Dr. Rocks, to me, it was a fascinating guy uh, to talk to and just a little bit of background. He, He wrote a book uh, in the early 70s called The Energy Crisis. And uh, in that book, Dr. Rocks, you know, pushed for the establishment of a, 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 basically what became the U.S. Department of Energy, uh, which the, the Jimmy Carter administration uh, put online, I believe, in 1977. Um, but, but Dr. Rocks w- was pushing for a, a Department of Energy, um, to deal with all sorts of, uh, you know, if, if uh, people who remember the 70s certainly remember that the energy crisis was on everyone's mind, um, you know, and Dr. Rocks was at the, the forefront of that. He's worked with Major League Baseball on temperature, how temperature affects baseballs. He's got views on climate change, as I mentioned, and weather patterns, how that can affect the modern athlete. Um, and, and as I said, he's also pushing for the U.S. to pursue an unmanned weather station on the moon to more accurately analyze the changes on Earth. And we're, we're not going to get to all 40 minutes of my chat with Dr. Rocks, but I did, I, I did want you to hear just a couple of clips. And, and we'll start with this, which is how all these issues, you know, how does it relate to sports? So uh, how does that affect sports? Well... Here's my feeling. Unstable weather, windier conditions, more humidity, more pollutants, that's going to affect respiration. I think the health issue is the big one. Uh, Now, viruses like COVID travel with people uh, and animals, they they think, birds maybe, Birds are great transmitters of uh, virus and bacteria around the world. But uh, it's going, uh, the COVID has brought something out in the open that was uh, previously not really thought about, and that's respiratory illnesses. And Dr. Rocks also, you know, has some thoughts on where locker rooms or dressing rooms or, or clubhouses should really be. Uh, situated in arenas or stadiums, and uh, um, here, here's 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 his thoughts on that. I, I said that the ideal locker room should have ventilation, which is much better than filtration, to get rid of virus. So the stadium should really have the training rooms, locker, and medical facilities on top, not in the basement. Mm-hmm. The ventilation. You know, it's a funny thing, but. In any university, the chemistry department is usually on the top floor for ventilation purposes. So uh, it's not very practical to just go build new stadiums and retrofitting existing stadiums is difficult, but it's not necessary. All they have to do is use cleaning fluids judiciously, use it wisely. It's way overdone. And as I explained to Major League Baseball, the cleaning fluids themselves 
are lung irritants, but they sometimes they combine. You know, one chemical reacts with another, like uh, acetic acid in one cleaner reacting with chlorine from a different cleaner to make chloroacetic acid, which is uh, a skin defoliant, terrible for the lungs. So cleaning fluids must not be overdone. The, the cleaning fluid kills COVID virus in in a minute or two minutes, but it lingers down there for hours, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I, I come to this health issue, respiration. The unstable weather conditions are going to give rise to more respiratory illnesses. It's going to be subtle. Now, as we know, the Islanders are building UBS Arena uh, at Belmont Park. And, uh, you know, the the dressing rooms are are going to be, you know, where they are uh, (laughs) at every NHL arena. And that's at ice level. But, uh, you know, I asked him, uh, you know, that being known, if he had any recommendations uh, for UBS Arena. Ideally speaking, locker rooms, training rooms, medical facilities should have the greatest possible natural ventilation. Uh, be on the top of a stadium. Players could come down in a big glass elevator and the fans would be, go wild. Yeah. But uh, that, that's starting all over again or starting with something new. And it's not life or death. It's not really necessary. What's necessary is that wherever the training rooms and locker rooms are, special attention has got to be paid to not overdoing cleaning fluids and not overdoing disinfectants mm-hmm. and realizing that vent- ventilation of the air is far more important than trying to filter. And finally, here's Dr. Rocks talking about how weather impacts of all sports and, and specifically uh, some of his thoughts on uh, outdoor hockey. Well, I think all sports have to deal with the fact that weather prediction is going to be more difficult. The weather will be more erratic. It will affect travel, travel schedules. It will also affect what's a preferred area of the country. For example, if the southwest of the U.S. gets terribly hot and humid, uh, that will affect player player's ability, performance, and whatnot. But I don't know if there's anything special. The only thing about hockey that could be special is not hockey itself, but outdoor hockey. Mm -hmm. Ice is a great reflector of UV light. And uh, ice and sand actually reflect UV light very well. It actually caused a lot of eye damage. In in fact, the uh, transportation department has... Uh, spoken about the need to wear uh, UV-absorbing glasses, sunglasses, like skiers, when there's ice and snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. So the fans who come should be aware of that, uh, just to the outdoor. And uh, kids skating on ponds is a small factor. Uh, I don't see it as anything major, you know, to really affect the sport. I think what's going to affect sports is air quality in general, which is deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And a windier earth is going to make it worse. So again, thank you to Dr. Rocks. I hope you found that interesting, if not a little different. And that is it for episode 75 
of Island Ice. I appreciate you uh, you coming along on this ride. And uh, please uh, search me out on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And as I keep mentioning, please uh, seek me out on Newsday Islander Texts. You can uh, text 631-303-3766. That texting number again is 631-303-3766. Or you can go to newsday.com backslash IELTS text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And you can go to newsday.com backslash IELTS to find all our material. Until the next time we speak, happy hockey, everybody.